0: everyone. Uh, it's great to be able to bring God's word to us today. We've been in this series called Living Hope, looking at the letter of one Peter. And Andrew, the last couple of weeks, has done a brilliant job at, at showing us the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the, the hope that we have, uh, the faith that we have, the love that we have through this imperishable uh, kind of word and, and, and the imperishable hope that we have. And, and, and so we've kind of looked at that the last couple of weeks in the the first chapter. But as we get into chapter two, you'll see that Peter is kind of changing focus slightly to begin to try to show us the, I guess, who we are, some of the privileges that we have as God's people and and who we are in light of that. And and he literally paints this picture. And, And what I hope to do today is just to draw out kind of three different things there's there's quite there's probably more in there but just to draw out three things three categories if you like uh, that Peter shows us who we are and what it means in terms of how we live our lives and so we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2 starting at verse 1 so let's read this together now so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander you have received mercy this is god's word the, the first image that peter begins with comparing us to it comes in verse 2 that, that we're like newborn infants longing for the pure spiritual milk that we may grow into salvation so the first image the thing he wants to say we're like is is newborn infants okay and uh, that, that long for spiritual milk now, now just to say that Some of us, when we hear that, we might straight away think about when Paul talks about um, spiritual milk in 1 Corinthians 3, where it's kind of giving the impression this is for new believers, almost like uh, you begin on kind of the milk and then you progress to have solid food. This is not the kind of the image that Peter is trying to get across here. The the milk that Peter is talking about is a symbol for the nourishment that all of us need from God in order to grow and develop and to mature as believers that whoever we are all of us need to continually be kind of be nourished by this milk that we may grow into salvation he says now i guess just a, just a word on that because the, the phrase that he actually uses is that we must long for it now you, you don't need to be a parent to know right that when it comes to babies and milk when when they long for the milk they let you know about it okay and and, and they actually nothing's going to stop them from getting that They don't care if they're in public, they don't care if they're in a really quiet space, they don't care if they're in a library, on a bus, in a restaurant, they don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning, if you've got company, if you've just got in the bath. When a newborn baby, when an infant wants milk, they let you know about it. They're almost selfish in in a way that uh, they're kind of, nothing's gonna stop them, I just want them, I long for it. And that's the image that Peter is using for us, to encourage us, that we must long for the things of God. I want you to to long to desire these things. And there's there's a challenge. Straight away in that image is a challenge for you and I. Do we long for the things of God? Do we long for that spiritual milk to help us grow and develop and be nourished? Sometimes we long for things rather than we long for that. There's things that easily stop us get in the way of that. So with a baby, nothing will stop it. For us, sometimes a lion, we long more for a lion than we do to kind of press in and to, to, to kind of long for, to, to see God, to be in his word, to be of his people. We long, you know, maybe a, a Sunday brunch with friends. know oh, long just to be with friends rather than being with God's people and from being in his word. We long to scroll aimlessly through news feeds and social media feeds. We long to do that and to connect with the wide world. We long more for that than we do to be in God's word and to be in his presence. And so there's a challenge. Even me, not, not long before Christmas, I found myself kind of getting hooked on this new TV series. I wasn't even new, it's an old school one, but I was kind of watching it. I found myself just late into the night watching it. And basically it meant that I found it difficult and able to get up early in the morning to spend time devotionally with the Lord before I start my day. You think, oh, I long to watch this TV show late into the night more than I long to be up with the Lord in the mornings. And so there's a challenge. Imagine a church that longs for God. And so we say, and when you do, when you long for him like that, he literally says that it's like you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You taste that the Lord is good. He's taking a, a scripture from Psalm 34. Taste and see. It's like when you long for him, when you long for that nourishment and eat it and drink it, when you receive it, you realise this is good. It's like a kid or even an adult when you try to offer them a new food and they're like, no, I don't want it. I, I, I don't like that. And you say, no, just taste it. Just try it. And then they try it, and they're like, oh no, this is nice. And they want more and more. It's like you've tasted that it, it's good, and you want more of it. And, and, and Peter is saying, no, when you've tasted the nourishment of God, you, you just want more and more and more because you know that it's good. And so there's a there's an encouragement for us to be like newborn infants longing for spiritual milk. The second thing that kind of Peter likens us to so we're like infants. Then in verse 4, he says that we're like living stones. Or verse 4 through to 8, that we're like living stones. He says in verse 5, living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. In fact, verses 4 to 8, Peter paints this picture of us being like living stones, being stones, being bricks that that are being built, and that Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation, the thing that is all built on, and that you and I, we're we're being built up to be a house, to be the church. And he, he paints this image, and so let's just zoom into it for a little while. It begins with him saying that, that, that we come to him, Jesus, the living stone. Now just on that, Jesus is a living stone. He's alive. He ain't a statue, he ain't a monument. There's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, about pulling down statues of, of, you know, of people that, in the past and things like that. Jesus ain't a statue, he ain't a monument. He's a living stone, he's alive. And, and he's a living stone and we too are like living stones and we come to him. And he, he, he kind of, he's the cornerstone, the foundation, and he uses us in our lives. He builds us up to be a dwelling house of the Lord. That's what it says that we're a dwelling house, a spiritual house, a place where God dwells. Before, God's presence would dwell in the temple. Now, it dwells in each one of us. You and I, we are, we are houses, we are dwelling places of the Spirit of God, and he's building us up. And not only does he say that, 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 we're, that we're living stones of spiritual houses, he then goes on in verse five to say that we are to be a holy priesthood. Now, now let me just say something about that. Priests, in, in kind of back in the day, they had remarkable privileges. They had direct access to God. They would be the ones that could go into the temple, they would be the ones that kind of, they were considered. Uh, it was a very socially high standing position with a lot of privilege attached to it. and they could go anywhere. And he said, "That's what you're like now." Reminds me of like my school days when when I was in, in secondary school. I had an older sister who was in the sixth form, and the sixth formers they had this like canteen kind of common room area that was really nice, but it was it was only for the sixth formers. And you had a couple of busybody kind of uh, prefects or you know kind of glorified hall monitors that were sixth formers that would like guard it. That would kind of be on the door, and they'd only let sixth formers in if you tried to go in there. But because I had a sister in the sixth form and all of her mates were in there and and I kind of known, I basically was allowed access to go in. I had some privileges that I could just go in and hang out there with my sister and her mates. That wasn't anything to do with me. It was because of who my sister was. What Peter's getting at here is because of Jesus Christ, because he's the foundation and he says that through him, you and I, we are like holy priests. We We have... Access to God. We can come to him. We've got all the privileges that come with being a priest. All of us have that as living stones. We're we're to be a spiritual house, to offer spiritual sacrifices, to offer things, uh, our praise, our worship, spiritual sacrifices. We come and we offer those things to God. And what does he say? It's all through Christ. Because of what Christ has done, because of who he is, because he is the foundation, because of that, we can come to him. And he he, he kind of begins to go on a little. So because of that, he he then quotes this scripture from Isaiah 28. He he kind of draws it out. It says, uh, this scripture that he's talking about is from from the the Old Testament. He says, because behold, because of Jesus, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I I, I love this verse, verse 6. When you kind of read the Hebrew text, what's interesting is that the, the Hebrew word for stone, Eben, okay, literally is, is where we get the, the name Ebenezer from. Eben means stone, okay, is uh, so it means a stone of help, the name Ebenezer. The, the, the word son is Ben, which is where you get, it means son, Benaniah means son of. And so the stone and son actually kind of, they're, they're basically the same word. And so there's kind of this wordplay going on here. That is saying, behold, I'm lying in in, in Zion. I'm laying a stone. I'm laying a son. I'm I'm, I'm laying down my son who will be a cornerstone, who's chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever. This would have upset some people, by the way. Do you mean whoever? Old, young. Rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, it, it doesn't matter. Who, whoever believes in him, it says they cannot be put to shame. Jesus is is, is in many senses the one who came that makes a way for us. And, and, and the reason that we won't be put to shame is because at the cross, Christ, the most Honourable and perfect and spotless and righteous person became the most shameful as he's he's killed naked and stripped to a cross. Because the most honourable became the most shameful, it means that you and I, though maybe we have shame, though maybe we have guilt, we are put, in verse 7, in a position of honour. Our shame is replaced for honour. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done. And, and, and shame is, is quite, it's, it's a powerful thing because shame we don't only feel shame in the things that maybe we've done, but shame is also maybe things that have been done to us. Shame, things that have been done to us or said to us, things that we've said or, or, or acted. All of us can carry a sense of shame. But, but what Peter's trying to nail down is, no, because of Jesus, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your background When you stand before God, it's not shame, but you have honour. Why? Because he's the cornerstone. Do you get it? That's why it doesn't matter whoever you are, because your family history is not the cornerstone. Your qualifications, whether you've got, whether you dropped out at 14 or got a PhD, your qualifications are not the cornerstone and not the foundation of it. Your bank balance is not the foundation of it. Your career is not the foundation of it. Your, 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 your heritage, none of that is the, is the foundation of your standing before God. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and the foundation. And because of him, because we come through him, you and I can stand before God. This is what Peter is saying. that Because Jesus was, was, was scorned and put to shame, you and I get a position of honour. And because of that, we're being built up like living stones. Each one of us has got a part to play when it comes to building his kingdom. Each one of us is is like bricks that are being built up to be the house. And and Peter goes on in in, in verse 7 to say actually that that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Because, Because Jesus was rejected, it's literally like you, you kind of got, you know, builders that literally are like, oh yeah, you know, uh, imagine builders building a house and they, they pick up a brick and they go, nah, not that one, that's no good. That's that's what they did with Jesus. Oh, you say he's the Messiah, you say he's the Holy One, now we're going to reject him. We don't believe so, we're going to crush, we're going to kill him. He's not who he says he is. And because of his rejection, because Jesus was rejected, you and I, can be accepted because Jesus was rejected. You and I can be accepted. That is in verse 7 that is the basis of our honor. The basis of our honor, the foundation of our honor is Jesus's shame. But, but, but this is not the only point that Peter's trying to make with this verse 7 that, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Because you know Jesus, Jesus came into the world and it's quite interesting because he was rejected by men, by the way. men They, they rejected him. You're not who you say you are. We're going to kill you. We, we want you dead. The people that he came to save rejected him. And one of the things, that, the, one of the points that Peter's trying to make to a people that are in exile, to a people that are probably struggling, to a people that need to know the hope, the point that he's trying to make to them is that human unbelief cannot frustrate the purposes of God. Let me say that to you again. Human unbelief cannot frustrate the purposes of God. Nothing and no one can stop what God is doing. Nothing and no one can stop the purposes of God in building his church. And it's important that we hear that, especially... At the end of, uh, kind of coming towards the end of a two-year pandemic, sometimes you can look and you think, oh, the, ch- the church seems like it's struggling. The, the church seems like it's in a difficult spot. Maybe that kind of we've lost ground. And you think, ah, no, 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 nothing can stop what God is doing. Not pandemics. This generation to that generation. They tried. You can abandon him. You can accuse him. You can arrest him. You can beat him. You can put a crown of thorns on his head, you can put a robe on his back, you can slap him and spear him, and you can crucify him and kill him and bury him, but you cannot stop him. Because the church he is building, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. The gates of hell can't stop it. Death could not stop it. Nothing can stop the, 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 the purposes of God for his church in the nations. Nothing can frustrate you. And this is what what, what Peter is, is trying to get at. In fact, it's a, it's a scripture that he draws out from, from Psalm 118. The cornerstone, uh, the, 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 the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It was a prophecy. This was the plan all along. This didn't surprise God. He knew they would reject him and he knew that it was part of his plan and he knew that he would still establish and build his church, that even though they rejected him, he would be the cornerstone in the foundation. And so you get this, kind of remarkable, I guess, encouragement to us. And and so we've seen that that like infants, we should long for the milk of God. That we're like living stones that are, are part of this church that's being built and Jesus Christ is the foundation and everything is in him and through him and for him. And then the final thing that Peter wants to do in this section, the third thing that he calls us, is a holy nation. Verse 90, he says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Just want to say this, that that Peter is is trying to show them who they are. He uses these four names to kind of show them, this is who you really are. You're, you're, You're a chosen race. You're a chosen elect, selected. You're raised. race. It's broad in that. You're a royal priesthood. Kings and queens would have had their own kind of selections of, of priests that looked after them, that had direct access. He's like, you're a royal priesthood to God. You're a holy nation. You're set apart. You're different. You're holy. And you're a people of God's possession. You belong to God. And and, and all four of these titles, he's, he's trying to kind of show them that these, these titles are not for us as individuals, friends. Because... When you look at them, it's a race, it's a priesthood. It's not a priest, it's a priesthood, it's a, it's a group of priests, it's a nation, and it's a people, plural. These are not individual titles for you and I, they are titles for us as a people. This is what Peter is trying to get at, and it, and, and, it, and it goes, it cuts right across the plague of individualism that we have in the West, in this nation. That we are almost, uh, the, 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 the way our relationship with God is basically all about us as an individual. It's my faith and it's my life. And that the way we relate to God is particularly him and me. Peter is trying to, that's not the point that Peter's trying to make here. Peter's trying to talk to us collectively. Peter He's not saying you are, he's saying we are. He's trying to say, no, the the, the whole point of the church is that it's a people, that it's a nation. That God's mission and strategy to transform the nations in the world is not with you as an individual. It's not to build you up as this remarkable individual that you may do amazing things. His plan to transform the world is his church. And that we would be living stones, a part of that church. That's why the world needs the church. When the church is is not meeting, when the church is not present, the world suffers. But when God's people are together as living stones being built up and strengthened, it makes a world of difference. It's his strategy. Now don't mishear me. God, as individuals, we must still kind of mirror and represent this church. God God cares about you as an individual, we're not monolith, God knows you, he formed you in, in your mother's womb, he knows the hairs on your head, he knows you by name, he's got plans and purposes for your life to do you good, he loves you, he's for you, for each one of us as individuals. And he wants to do us good and he wants to use us to glorify his name and bring about kingdom culture, but he wants to use us as part of his church, as part of his people, as part of a body that we may proclaim the excellencies of him that we may be light in the darkness as living stones as a, as a holy nation as one nation under god one people under god this is what this is what peter's trying to get excited about and he's trying to rally and stir them to and, and in fact it, remi- it reminded me I, I just kind of as, as we kind of close this point i just want to share a kind of this song's been in my mind because there's a song that we sing at kings I like the song, it's a good song by Hillsong. I am who you say I am. And and the chorus of it says, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Well, I'd put it to you. that If Peter was writing that song, that chorus, he would change the lyrics to, we are chosen, not forsaken. We are who you say we are. You are for us, not against us we are who you say I are, who we say we are. That there's an us component in it, that he's building us up. And he and, and He ends that, and Peter kind of ends, and, and we'll close with this, with this final verse, verse 10 that says, once you were a people, once you weren't a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once we didn't know God, once we were in a position of shame, Enemies of God, foreigners to God, strangers to him. But now we're in a position of honour, friends of God, children of God, and part of a a kingdom, part of a living stone being built up as a dwelling place of God for his glory and for his kingdom purposes. And whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever you've done, there's an invitation from Christ to believe in him and to receive mercy and to be caught up in all the things of God. In Jesus' name. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's been made the cornerstone, the, the foundation, and that we are living stones being built up, part of his plan, part of his church. And I want to pray for all of us. Help us. Lord, help us to be a people that long for the things of God. Help us to be a people that know what it is to be living stones being built up, dwelling places of your spirit. And help us to know, Lord, that we're a part of a church. That we're a holy nation set apart who've received mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.